Welcome to the Groundswell Podcast, produced by Faith First. With so much division in our world right now, we want to give people a resource to help us navigate the divisiveness. We believe there's a better way to live that allows us to not get caught up in division. We believe that when we put our faith first and divisive topics second, we can cross over divides to build unity and understanding with those around us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll keep coming back for more. Live faith first. Welcome to the Groundswell Podcast. I'm Elliot Sands, Executive Director of Faith First, and I'm with Michael Golker, Executive Director at the Colossian Forum. Michael, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Glad to be here and um, excited about what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was uh, really excited when you agreed to join us, and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Colossian Forum and really what you're doing kind of around cultural conflict and how we look at that as spiritual opportunities and we're always looking to grow and mature, hopefully. And so I'm excited to talk about that today. But before we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit about your life story. Like, how did you get where you are? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Just a, a little bit of a background so we can know you a little better today. I am a native of Michigan, Western Michigan, Grand Rapids. Uh, grew up here in a little Dutch Reformed subculture, um, Calvinism. Uh, went to Calvin High School went to Calvin College, which is now Calvin University. Wow. And then I kind of went off the rails. I was supposed to go to Princeton or Yale from there. That's where they wanted their their theological prospects to go. But I was a um, within the reformed world, there is this uh, this this notion of Christ transforming culture. Reinhold Niebuhr is a very important figure uh, theologian of the 20th century. and and this notion that that we would be formed through Christian education to go out and, and shape the world. But at least in my experience, and it it was a limited experience, it's not everybody's experience, but in my experience, um, through the educational system and then in in the workforce, I worked as an engineer for a few years before I went on in theology, um, was that the Christ transforming culture model was inverted, that that the traffic was going the wrong direction, um, and and that the the desire to be relevant culturally actually had us sort of giving away the heart of the faith. Um and so when I ran across the work of Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon, this 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 notion of re- resident aliens, and to what would it mean to be a resident alien rather than a a culture maker, um, to use Andy Crouch's term, that was a different angle on things that was very attractive to me. And Rodney Clapp, peculiar people, yeah, just captured my imagination. And so rather than going to Princeton or Yale, I went to Duke to study with Stanley Hauerwas and. Um, had a really uh, had a great education at Calvin prepared me well, but being at Duke really shaped me um, to be thinking about uh, the role of the church as a peculiar people. The Sermon on the Mount as being sort of the politics of the kingdom, and to be marked by those. Uh, and so, I at, at that moment, I I um, began thinking about what what relevance does the gospel already have rather than trying to figure out how to be relevant? What is, what is being Christ-like look like? And the, the Sermon on the Mount as a politics was very, very attractive. Um, that led me to end up taking a post uh, in a small church in Iowa that was becoming Anabaptist. It joined the Mennonite um, wow. Mennonite Church USA. While I was an intern there, I had nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, they actually had some reform thinking in their background. So it was this weird mix um, but what I found when I was serving as a pastor out there was that um, I hadn't actually learned to pastor. I had learned to win arguments. 
Yeah. I was very good at winning arguments. I was a good academic. Um, and, uh, this didn't serve me well, particularly as a pastor. I shouldn't say it didn't serve me well. It didn't serve my congregants well. Yeah. Uh, it didn't serve the leadership of the church well. It didn't serve my wife well. We had we got married when we were quite young, in our twenties, and so we had been married for a while at this point. She'd been following me around the country, you know, on these career moves, and um, <clears throat> I the in the congregation I served just had a lot of conflict, and so I was attracted by the sort of um, peacemaking work, the nonviolence of the Anabaptist tradition. And I found that we just didn't know how to do it. Um, and uh, after five years there, um, decided that I didn't know how to help them. And so I thought, well, I'll go back to do what I do know how to do, which is win arguments. I'll, I'll do a PhD. But but now we were going to move back to Michigan, go, go to Notre Dame, do something close. At this time, we now had two children, one of which... Um, with special needs and we just really needed to be around family. So we ended up back in Grand Rapids and um, that's a, a little bit of the background. Yeah. Very interesting. And just to kind of go back to your experience as a pastor, what was the fallout as far as your tendency to win an argument? What was the fallout of that? you said it was kind of detrimental to your, or wasn't, didn't serve your congregants yeah. well. Tell me a little bit about the fallout when you would win an argument and kind of what that would live out like in that in that context. It sort of built up a theological system that marginalized the voices of those that disagreed, and it was only going to be through welcoming them. And so what I realized in, in, in winning arguments was that winning arguments never sort of won relationships. Yeah. Right. They might accede to my point to my but i had how many years of edu theological education it's not that big a deal to win the argument right yeah um but if i would listen and if i would honor them and if i would if i would um let them know that i was taking their argument seriously oftentimes before we would even come to a conclusion they would say it doesn't matter what you decide we trust you and it was such a giant contrast between just simply listening and honoring and shoring up the system um that i just i just started to realize that we're going about this all wrong and um but the the bigger deeper challenges we were never going to be able to address by by winning arguments yeah yeah interesting so you are the executive director at the colossian forum and you've chosen to work against a major cultural trend right this kind of cultural conflict um that is feels quite ever present, whether it's in media or social media or interactions uh, just, you know, in the world around us. What drew you to this? I mean, it sounds like it's part of your experience at, at your former church, but why did you choose to to now jump into this arena of, of making <laughs> cultural conflict kind of your, your, your thing you, you, you want to try to make a difference in? Um, well, you're right. It, it did have a lot to do with the church I served. And and I was one of three pastors. Um, and my job was was adult ed. And um, and I realized that if I picked a topic to teach on, like Christian formation or the you know, Romans or something, I would get 12 people would show up and they were the same 12 that came to everything. If I taught on gay marriage or politics or something controversial, I get a packed house. Hmm. The central insight was that 
um, if you want to talk about things you disagree about well, you need spiritual formation, you need scripture, you need practice, right? Like all of the things that you want to do to form disciples are done at the crucible of strong emotion and, and opinion, right? Yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul's always in the middle of an argument. Jesus is always in the middle of, right? All of our theological doctrines were forged in the furnaces of conflict when you're wrestling over something that matters. And so I just saw that there was tremendous energy that could be harnessed and that um, in the politics of the kingdom, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in the teachings of Jesus, we actually have everything we need to engage each other in ways that that can form us in beautiful ways, not just malform us the way Fox and CNN do it. And so I've just always seen the energy as as opportunity. Uh, and and so that we've just sort of made a made a livelihood of it in some ways, right? There's everybody knows that conflict's tearing not only the church apart, but the country apart. I mean, Arthur Brooks, you know, he's he's very famous for, you know, doing this research and, you know, 90, let's see, uh, we're more divided than any time since the Civil War. One in six of us is no longer talking to a family member since the previous 2016 presidential election. It's only gotten worse since then. And 90% of the Americans want to do better. So there's nothing more relevant right now than a gospel of reconciliation. And if we were if we just happened to be a people that knew how to do that, we would have something to offer the world, right? So it, it goes back to that. The gospel itself, when embodied, is al already relevant. Um, so that's that's how we we moved into it. Uh, I didn't really plan on it. Um, you know, I left that church in some ways a failure. I didn't know how to help them. Um, I had mismanaged the conflict in my own career and in my own family such that my wife was, was you know, letting me know that this was not going to work. Um, and so, you know, I didn't plan on starting the Colossian Forum. I was invited to maybe think about whether winning arguments was the right thing for me to do with the rest of my life. Um, do you need a PhD? Is that what you're called to do? Or might you, might you learn from your experience and offer it back to the church? And so I was invited to help launch the Colossian Forum with a few others and just happened to be the guy that got stuck with the task for the next 12 years. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, it, what you're saying about the cultural trend just resonates with me. Without those numbers, without that data, just conversations that I have with people just tell me anybody who you say, you know, Hey, Elliot, what do you do? Try to explain what faith first does. We want to address division in society and kind of help people navigate through that in a healthy way. And I get nothing but head nods positive. Like, yes, yep. here's a problem. Yes. We need to figure it out. And yet the numbers aren't changing. Well, I don't know, maybe they are changing, but I'm not seeing this, this massive switch to something else. And so it makes you go back and say, well, wait a second. So if everybody agrees it's a problem, that division is a problem, that it's tearing our nation apart, that it's 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 affecting our churches, it's affecting our own mental and emotional well-being. I can't even have a healthy conversation without wondering, do they think the same as I do? And if they don't think the same as I do, are they gonna cancel me if we disagree on something? Like just navigating that is an emotional stress. And yet, so we have that issue. And yet I don't see a whole lot going on on ways that we're trying to figure out how to resolve this. That's one of the things I love about Colossian Forum and hopefully what we're doing at Faith First is how do we give people tools to take this, this, this unrest inside of us 
and say, okay, well, it's there. Now, how do I bridge those gaps? How do I now start to navigate these better so that it be, actually becomes a cultural trend that 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 finding peace, finding a way to cross those divisions um, is the is the norm or more more the norm. Um, I'm curious. You've been in this for 12 years now. Have you seen polarization change over the last 12 years? And if so, what trends are you seeing? Like what, what was going on 12 years ago that seems like that was really easy? <laughs> now we're dealing with this and this is, you know, seems way more challenging. What trends have you seen kind of in polarization? Yeah, I mean, we. <laughs> I was invited to start the organization around conflicts regarding um, faith and science and human evolution, which seems like just like a wonderful quaint right. <laughs> argument to have. Right. Um, I mean, underneath it, all the same dynamics were there. Uh, the cultural dynamics of left, right between rural, urban um, uh, scriptural interpretation, uh, they, they were all there, but it was not as inflamed as it is now, for sure. Um, you know, the I, th I think there are a number of trends that in some ways have accelerated what was already happening. And of course, COVID was an enormous uh, contributor. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Barack Obama's election and, you know, his election and the sort of slow backlash to that with 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 the election of Trump um uh was was a contributing factor um you know Trump gave voice to discontent especially the rural urban wealth gap right um when you have a, a massive wealth gap or an increasing wealth gap and you have sort of identity politics and then you have somebody that can articulate grievance that accelerates polarization and really drives it deep. And so Trump did that on, on the right. Uh, cancel culture did it on the left. Um, and you, you just saw the growth in contempt. And again, uh, uh, Arthur Brooks does a lot on contempt. So affective polarization, we're no longer polarized based on our political opinions. But if you have a differing political opinion, about, I don't like you. Right. I, I don't trust you. You're either ignorant, stupid or evil. Right. And so and, and you, you've probably seen the data that um, it used to be if somebody was from a different religion, you wouldn't want your kids to marry them. Now, being from a different political camp is more important than religion or race or any other factor. Yeah. So you just see how political polarization and, and of course, fears become an industry. Right. Uh, you know how and, and it's a huge industry. How, how does Rush Limbaugh end up on The Breakfast Club? Um, when, when there's a, a shooting, a police shooting, right? It's because they're owned by the same conglomerate and both both the left and the right are, are based on generating fear 24 seven. So people are just kind of hopped up, amped up. I think another big factor, you know, David, uh, or David French wrote an article in New York Times about Fox News and saying that one of the challenges for Fox News is that it's it's become so heavily about representing and you know he's he's making the claim about fox news you could probably argue the same about cnn but you know he's, he's arguing that 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 fox news is taking a beating right now over you know who lied about what uh, around january 6th and so forth and um but he said that 
Fox News has become, and, and, and many news, news, outlet, news outlets have become less about pursuing the truth and more about representing to your constituency what the constituency needs to see about themselves. They need to see themselves represented, their values, their goals. And when you move away from that, you get hammered financially, right? So it costs somebody that's in this representational game gets hurt financially if they misrepresent. So when Arizona goes for Biden and Fox announces it, well, there's a constituency that doesn't believe that to be true. Interestingly enough, there's a sociologist by the name of Mark Mulder who who is uh, working on the seeker movement and he suggests it's not written yet. So um, this is just early conversation. He is su suggesting that um, the seeker movement was the was the start of this. <laughs> uh, pastors, because they have an economic competitive landscape, give their people what they expect to see. Right. So you just have this mode where people are constantly being told through their echo chambers, whether it be at church or Facebook or their news channel what they want to see, what they want to hear, how they want to be represented. And when that's not the case, they're shocked. And so pastors have become exceedingly adept at eliding language and difference in how they communicate so that they can communicate to a broad audience. And then when COVID hit and you had to wear your politics on your face, all of a sudden people you thought were your friends, you realized were your enemies. And, and this is just catapulted um, us into a, a new a new time. That's very interesting. What insight would you give us as to solutions to division? Maybe we've just talked about that a little bit, or maybe let me ask this differently. How does Colossian Forum address the trends we're seeing in society right now? What do you what are you doing at Colossian Forum around some of these things? Yeah, so we 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 go about serving the church and Christian organizations in a number of ways. I mean, one is through, you know, topical curricula on different, on a variety of difficult topics and you know, whether it be faith and science or gay marriage or how to talk about politics or how to talk about gender, any one of those. And, and in that we're actually teaching a Christian discipline of conflict transformation, not resolution. You're not going to come out the other side, all agreeing, but it teaches you to harness the energy of the division to actually grow closer to God and to each other while you disagree right so and that that process is is very simple uh it's the the curricula are 10 90 minute sessions with video content you know breaks down into five stages but the major moves are are this when you gather you gather in the name of jesus and where two or three are gathered jesus promises to be there which means jesus is the host not you and it levels the playing playing field it helps relativize the political ideologies that drive you most of the time it reminds us that everybody there is an image bearer. And if they're an image bearer of God, then you're looking at the face of the ideological other as the place where revelation is going to happen because that is an image bearer of God. Now that seems impossible and it is, it is impossible, but that's why you pray for the presence of the spirit and why Jesus is the host, not Fox or CNN, right? Jesus is the host. We pray for the spirit. We And it's prayer that we really need to do something. Like, spirit, we need you to do something. Yes. We spend time reflecting on the source of our unity, and then we engage the disagreement. But the goal of the whole engagement isn't to win. The goal is to worship. The goal is to engage a disagreement in ways that honor God and honor our neighbor. And, and so you gather in the name of Jesus. 
you pray for the spirit, you look for the spirit in the image of God in the other, you fight like crazy, but with the goal of deeper love of God and love of neighbor. And, and you just sort of rinse and repeat. You do that over and over and over across 10, 10 different engagements with the same topic. And people move from this, this beautiful vision of what could be to an actual lived encounter that it can be, right? They've experienced it for themselves. And when they come out of it, you know, you, you may be in a situation where a decision needs to be made, but now you're making decisions with brothers and sisters in Christ made in the image of God for the witness of the church. And that's just a different ballgame. Yeah. So that's that's one way we go about it. Another way is removed from the topics. We train um, leaders uh, to do this conflict transformation in any situation. We work with leaders. We work with their organizations. We set up sort of a, a plan. We coach you through it, how to implement conflict transformation practices in your organization with the goal, again, of, of manifesting the fruit of the spirit but also reducing the the negative impacts of mismanaged conflict in your organization, which is really costly. I mean, if you just do the math. Um, and then we do some fair level of consulting. But, but at the end of the day, what we're always doing is trying to help people encounter the image of God in the other and remind them that whatever it is they believe, if they're believing it as Christians, the benchmark of believing it well, holding it, well, is that it ought to produce deeper love of God and love of neighbor. <laughs> Everybody has to hold that. And if we will allow ourselves to be held accountable to that with each other, a lot of this, you now you now actually have what you need to, to have a productive conversation. And, and so we, we walk people through that step by step. And whether that be through the topical curricula or through, um, you know, training and organization how to do it, we just we coach through so that you get some wins you learn the habit, you learn the spiritual discipline, and you begin to imagine the world differently because you've experienced it differently. Have you seen breakthroughs? Like, have you seen like organizations? Like, what is it? What does it look like on the other side? I mean, 10, 90 minute well, sessions, that's you're dedicating some time. So clearly you're, you're, you're wanting yeah. to make change. What outcomes do you, have you seen? Do you see, do you have a story you could tell? Sure. I'll, I'll I'll tell I'll tell a couple. Um, one was our, our early work, the Colossian Forum. You know, all things hold together in Christ. Colossians three seventeen. We began with forums with public figures, with with the goal of not winning, but deeper love of God and love of neighbor. And when we began in faith and science, we were working with BioLogos, which was an evolutionary creationist group, and um, uh, Core Academy of Science, which is a young Earth creationist. And and they were they were organizations built to extinguish the other. <laughs> And and the the two leaders, Daryl Falk is the former president of Biologos, not the current one, but but he and Todd Wood became deep friends through our work. We brought them together on a number of occasions, so much so that that Todd Wood once said um, in a public meeting, "I I don't know how Daryl can believe what he believes, but I know that Daryl has been convicted by the Spirit to believe that, and I've been convicted." To believe what I believe, they can't both be true. So what's the spirit doing? The spirit's doing something bigger than both of us, and I want to be a part of it. And here we are 12 years later, and Daryl and Todd are traveling across Australia, preaching this message of reconciliation, even though their organizations were designed to destroy the other. Wow. Right? Saying the spirit's doing something bigger than either one of us. So that's, that's one story. Um, on a much more mundane level, 
uh, in a Colossian way, small group curriculum on sexuality. There was a, 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 we were popping into a church to talk to the pastor to see how it went. They had run the, they had piloted the first version of this back in 2015. And the pastor wasn't there, but uh, a, a new employee of the church was. And he said, hey, are you the, you're the Colossians people? You know, they couldn't remember her name. I said, yeah. I said, do, do you have a minute? I said, sure. He said, well, I came to work for the church about six months ago. Um, I left private industry. It's not been an easy six months. My family, my daughter especially, isn't very happy with me for joining the church. It's disrupted her life. Um, she wasn't sure she wanted to go to church. But um, I told her we were going to be having these conversations around human sexuality and gay marriage. And she said, you, we can talk about that at church? And he said, he said, well, yeah, we're going to be doing that. So she she had one foot out the door and really didn't know what church was about. She had gay friends and just was. And over the course of the 10 weeks, you know, she went from saying, I don't belong here to these people are interesting and they're talking in ways that that nobody I know is talking. Not everybody agrees. And certainly people don't agree with me, but they love me. It's clear that they love me. And by the end, she moved from they love me to I love them to these are my people. Can we do it again? And can I invite my friends? Wow. Right. And and um, and when when people have that experience and, and congregations have that experience multiple times, when you walk into the sanctuary, you see somebody you disagree with, but you have this time together knowing that whatever the spirit is doing, it's bigger than either one of you. You can't both be right. Not everybody's going to win the polity, but God's doing something bigger than both of us. And whatever we hold, we have to hold it to the glory of God and to the benefit of our neighbor. And that just gives people a common grammar, a common lectionary lexicon to, to hold each other accountable to, to live while they disagree. Yeah. That is such a beautiful transformation of this, this daughter to... Yeah, get to the place where she says, this is my people. And what I love about it is it wasn't, these are my people because we agree on everything. Yeah. These are my people because they're for me and I'm for them. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it goes beyond our conviction, our opinion, those yeah. pieces to a deeper communal human interaction. And it, it's, it's interesting because in close relationships, marriage relationships, parenting relationships, even close friends at times, I don't agree with everything that my wife thinks or says, and she certainly doesn't agree with everything I think or say. And I, the same for, you know, me and my wife and our daughter and, and uh, our oldest daughter, I mean, across the board, our grandkids and so on. And because we're for each other, those conversations may not be easy, but they're not destructive. And of course, we're respectful to one another in the midst of that too. So it's it's well, and if you can if you can um, if you can take one more step, I mean, being for each other is exactly right. But if you can take one more step and say what I hold, I have to explain to you in terms of me being for you. So whatever political posture I have. As a Christian, it means I have to hold it in ways that bless you, right? So if I'm for you, the things I hold have to be for you too. 
right? And so um, what is the greatest commandment, right? All the law and the prophets hang upon these two, right? That means all the scriptures that come before, all of the laws, right? Everything, all of it, all of the law and the prophets hang upon love of God and love of neighbor, which means anything you hold and however you hold it has to lead to those. That's what you're held accountable to. And I just think that is a tremendously powerful uh, move to make that creates a place, a, a way where there was no way, right? God is doing a new thing right there. And it takes sacrificial love, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to live that out. And when we live that out, people can see the Spirit in us. We begin to embody right, the sacrificial love of Christ and begin to participate in the resurrection right there. And, um, you know, I didn't know I was going to do this for 12 years, but when I started to see that happen, when I started to see the spirit move, when I started to see people loving sacrificially, when I started to see new possibilities break forth that weren't there before, I was sold. It's like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life one way or another, because this is where the action is. So good. That is so good. And I I love that. I'm happy you brought that back up again. Just the importance of acknowledging, acknowledging the Holy Spirit in the middle of stuff, mm-hmm. but acknowledging that the Holy Spirit, that God is doing something bigger than me as an individual, that you as an individual, that two people who have are holding convictions that are separate and, and antagonistic to one another and realizing that somehow in the midst of this in the mystery of god that there's something bigger happening and we just need to get on that train like we just need to get on and 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 ride where it's headed and uh, and so often i feel like we want to try to figure god out and of course we have theological degrees we study the bible right? we, we live and, and we're living a disciple life but part of a disciple disciple life is trying to figure out who God is and how I live in a way that honors him and, and benefits society and build up his kingdom. Um, and yet somehow we get uncomfortable at times in the mystery of God and the just acceptance that I can't know what God is doing. And honestly, we've, we've heard it said, if we could figure God out, he'd be a pretty darn boring God. Like <laughs> I, I should not be able to figure God out, but um, I, I just love that. I love what I keep hearing what you're saying is bringing the spirit into this and bringing God into the midst of it. Um, it, it leads me to another question and I'm, I'm not sure if this will make it into the podcast. And so <laughs> y'all will know if it does or doesn't by whether or not you hear this, but um, as we look outside of the Christian community, we don't have some of these, these Christian handholds or, um, even teachings necessarily to point to that I will grab onto because you say, Hey, this is a Christian ethic. Now yeah. I think Christian ethics actually go, you know, they, they are just beneficial for society and we can argue whether or not a Christian ethic should be <laughs> forced upon yeah. anybody who doesn't know Jesus. But with that said, you're drawing upon the power of the Holy spirit to come into a meeting or to come into a gathering or come into a conflict and you and I can agree on that because you both, you and I both follow Jesus. If you take that piece of it away, what does that look like for, you know, kind of your average secular non-person who just doesn't believe in any 
kind of religious system or any kind of God, how how would what you do kind of fit into that form? And I know that's not what you do, but I'm just curious. Yeah. You're a thinker. I'm sure you've thought about this. Yeah, we, we get the question all the time. And it's a really important question because not everybody lives in a Christian bubble, right? Uh, in fact, if we do, we've got a problem. Um, I, I think when, when I think about what we do as a Christian spiritual discipline, um, it, it, it's like worship that ought to form us into the kind of people that can do this anywhere. So when we practice it overtly as Christians, we're practicing the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus right in the middle of our disagreement. If I'm to do this with a non, doing it with a non-Christian is not much di different than doing it with a Christian, oftentimes because everything I articulated to you about what you're do, what we're doing, gathering in the name of Jesus, you may not actually do that in a conversation. That may be an internal process that, of your preparation and how you go about it. But but we are everyone operates out of a story, whether it's a secular humanist story or or a, 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 a Buddhist story or a Muslim story or a Christian story, a Jewish story. Um, we all have a story and those stories have moral resources that we draw from. We have ways of making sense of the moral acts that we undergo. So if I'm if I'm in a conversation with a secular atheist, uh, I would say, look, I'm looking I'm looking I see you as a as a as a created in the image of God. You may not see that. You may see a person with with infinite worth because of the dignity that we have as human beings. Fine, I can I will operate with that. I'm going to I'm going to do my best to honor that in you. And I I would invite you to honor me, but 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 what I'm getting from them is not the point. The point is can I love them sacrificially? Yeah. Can I hold what I hold for their benefit? Can I display the beauty of the faith in ways that they know they're seen and loved and that I'm for them in ways that they might not be able to make sense of without the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Yeah. Right? So is, I believe that we're capable of being in the world because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in ways that are befuddling to others. All right. And my last question is, what is exciting you right now? Is there a project, a trend, a Bible verse, something happening in your family? But it's when you think about it, you just you just get encouraged. Yeah, I, I think I think this the documentary that we're working on, we've brought together a cohort of pastors, all local here, and on paper, none of them should be friends. Um they're very different theologically, politically, ethnically, socioeconomically, and um and it's and we've become deep friends. And it's been one of the deepest joys of my life to be friend to be befriended by these people of God who were alienated from each other, lonely, struggling as many pastors are post pandemic. It's a hard gig right now with all of the polarization, and we found each other, and we kind of we kind of fell for each other, you know, in a platonic sense. We're crazy about each other, and and it's become not just us; it's become our families. And so my kids are involved, my wife is involved. We're going to each other's churches. We're and and there's we're gonna um, we're gonna do a sort of. A, a tour of our own city, the history, the, the racial and um, economic history of the city. We're going to see if we can't do a pilgrimage to the American South and see how Christians have been present in, you know, difficult places in our past. And uh, we're meeting with the mayor in a couple of weeks to just listen, to say, what, what would it look like for a dozen churches to bless this city? Um, just showing up in places, being a peaceable presence. 
um, the film, the, the film was just a catalyst. It just gave us the excuse. Um, and we're just doing, we're just doing Christian community across 12 congregations in the city. It's, 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 it's really rich. That is awesome. That is amazing. And actually our next podcast is going to be with, uh, gentlemen from the racial reconciliation network and they're doing a lot of what it just sounds like you're doing out of tacoma washington and so uh for those of you listening to the podcast you're going to get to hear uh next week or in two weeks excuse me you're going to get to hear a full story of how that's lived out in the tacoma washington area but that is super exciting to hear that's happening in grand rapids like that's that's that is amazing and i think it's a movement i think it's a movement that we need to find a way to to highlight, but also it's encouraging to me because sometimes I feel like I'm, you know, I'm the only one doing this. There can't be anyone else in the entire nation, right? And yet I hear continual stories of pockets of where this is happening and happening well. And so that that is that's encouraging for me. So well, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you joining the podcast for all you're doing at the Colossian Forum. Just uh thank you. Thank you for what you do. And I encourage you all go to their website, check out their resources, and uh, maybe it'll be a good fit for something at your church. So today, everybody, let's go live faith first. Hey, thanks for listening to our Groundswell podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Reviews help other people find us, and we're trying to get the word out. We would love it if you would also share this episode on your social or your favorite text chain. Make sure to check out our weekly Groundswell videos at our YouTube channel. We make it easy for you to find all of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. It's all at LiveFaithFirst. Even our website is LiveFaithFirst.org. So wherever you're searching for us, type in LiveFaithFirst, you'll find us there. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you in a few weeks. In the meantime, Live Faith First. <laughs>